HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We sit down with the owners of one of my favorite new restaurants in Los Angeles, Amiga Amore. We're chatting with Danielle Duran Zecca and Alessandra Zecca, who opened up this Highland Park neighborhood-focused, Mexitalian-serving instant classic. We chat about their time cooking in New York, then moving back to LA, and the music and comfort that you can feel when you dine with them. Also... We recorded the day before they found out they were semifinalists for the James Beard Awards. So congratulations to them and everyone else in the food community who received a nod. And then keeping up with our recent Philadelphia trend, we are heading back to the archives to hang out with Philadelphia's Odd Kid Out. At 20 years old, he co-created Fact Magazines, and he was at the show to talk about and play his new single, Moonwalk. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN.
Danielle and Alessandro, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you for making the time. Fan of the restaurant, excited to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Um, you know, when I went in last year with my wife and a few friends, even though you were relatively new, it, it almost instantaneously felt like a neighborhood restaurant, which for a relatively new space is somewhat hard to capture. How were you able to dial in that feeling and that vibe right away? I think um, it's always been part of, you know, what we wanted Amiga Amora to feel like was we always said it needed to feel like you were at your like abuela's house or your mm. nonna's house. Like it had to feel like, you know, comfort. I think that was our number one thing when like, you know, going into the restaurant and seeing, you know, what it felt like and seeing the space that we wanted. And I think that's when we found like our home was, you know, that location, it felt like a house. And we both kind of looked at each other and said, even though it needs everything nothing <laughs> in it, um, we both really felt like this, this is where we could achieve it. It's a, it's a sign on top. Is it a watch shop, if I remember correctly, or, or what is the, uh, Anthony's jewelry. Jewelry, so, yes. Yeah. And yes. that's uh, it's it's yeah, yeah the husband of our landlord, and so we just felt like it's such a landmark, the location. Like we didn't want to make it feel like like new. I mean, I grew up in Highland Park, so it was uh, it was actually back in the day a restaurant called our El Arco Aris. Mm. Um, they were like a small family owned restaurant, and so. Um, I kind of didn't want it. I wanted to leave things that felt like, you know, old school. I have to say, it reminded me of what restaurants openings used to be like, where it did have that old touch of the neighborhood. It wasn't this mega PR machine. It felt part of the just the local community in a way that I think I hadn't seen or felt for a while to the point where I didn't even realize I was missing it. Yeah, I mean, nowadays it's became uh, through social media and all yeah. of that uh, a little bit difficult to don't be involved in those. Even if you don't want it, they, uh, yeah, for example, even if you don't want to be on Yelp, they write you a review and you're on Yelp. So sometimes you have no choices to be to be on platform or social media. So I totally understand. I grew up uh, in a restaurant where, in Italy especially, where there was none of these things, and still barely they're getting now mm-hmm. in all the stuff. So people really come word of mouth, and that's how we built. To be honest with you, that's how we started building our business. Because during the pop-ups, uh, I remember clearly at the beginning it was like we were doing ten people maybe, and mostly it was family. Then they started doing twenty. Then somebody talked to a friend, brought another friend, and over a sudden uh, we started filling yeah, up like the a spots. Community. We had a community, and this community became our guest when we opened the doors. It took us four four years to be able to build a little bit of a community behind us, so to be some, you know, a guest a guest list. So, um, it's amazing. Um, now, before we get into the pop ups and what you built in LA, you know, you mentioned your abuela and your nona. You both come from really strong culinary families. So, who cooked in the house when you're growing up, and how early were you drawn into the kitchen or to the idea of working in food? Well, I grew up, my mom always, uh, you know, in Italy, most of the people cook at home. So 
I literally grew up every morning waking up to the smell of something that she was cooking and going to the kitchen, you know, be excited. Mm-hmm. And of course, you should know that we have a lunch and we are all talking uh, what's for dinner. So, you know, we keep we all we all food. <laughs> so I really grew up around that. And uh, when I was in my teenage years, my family took over a restaurant. So that's where my career started. But I was never really into cooking the food myself because uh, I found it always too... Mm-hmm. I don't know, too complicated, you know, too much stressful. I like to be on the outside. So <laughs> that's why, you know, we, with Danielle, work well because she created the food and I'm going there and sell it out. That was the whole idea that we started with. But yeah, so my mom and for Danielle. Oh, uh, yeah. I definitely grew up with my grandmothers and um, the both of them cooking. Uh, my parents both worked when I was, you know, young. So uh, they would watch me and, yeah, it was really revolved around food. I feel like any a family event, even in like a Mexican household, you are you start in the kitchen. Like something's happening, mm-hmm, you are mm-hmm. all congregating around there, and you're not even like going to the set dinner table. So, um, I knew that I loved cooking. Um, I didn't know I was going to be a chef. I actually thought I was going to go to school for fashion design because I also hmm. had a real love for sewing. Um, and so, yeah, I think uh, cooking just won, won it over a little bit more. But um, I, through my high school years, I actually, <laughs> I wanted my grandmother's recipes. So, and she never, she never wrote anything down. So every Sunday I spent with her, uh, we would make a new recipe. So I have like a cherished recipe book that says like, you know, one of grandma's pinches. So two of my pinches will be right. salty. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, and having that and now like, <clears throat> I knew we always wanted a restaurant, but we had many ideas. So I think it wasn't until I kind of honed into my, my, those recipes and my family that then it kind of all came together. Now, you started cooking in L.A., but you eventually wound up in New York, which, you know, was a an adventure before you, you eventually returned home. But what drew you to the kitchens of New York at that time? Why, why go across country uh, instead of cooking around your hometown? Um, to be honest, my parents are going through a divorce right at that mm. time. And I think it was a way for me to not be sucked into the drama was I had to go somewhere. Sure. One part. And the second part was, um, I am Walter Mansky is my mentor. So shout out. And so it was the time that he left church and state. We were on the search for what would now be Republic, but it was just, everything was too up in the air. And I didn't really see, like LA blossoming at that point. And mm-hmm. I wanted really Michelin training. I wanted to work in tough kitchens that made me, you know, better. So, um, and that is New York city. Yeah. So I uh, told Walter that I wanted to either go to Le Bernardin or, you know, Daniel Balud. And um, he made a phone call. And I think within two weeks I had a stage interview at Le Bernardin. Wow. I mean, the power of that network back then is pretty incredible. Um, it still is. I still feel it. Still big. is. It still is. Yeah. It's still um, a community. Maybe not, you know, as much. Yeah. 
But definitely, I know that, um, yeah, I still have a good old school community like Walter. I mean, I can yeah. call him and I know he'll answer me. Yeah. Now, Alessandro, similar question to you because you were front of house yes. in Italy and Europe and London, you know, which is where so many people in America aspire to go to for training. Why the reverse and come to New York? Uh, I felt London was a little bit too small for me, to be honest mm. with you. I, I went there, I spoke no English, no nothing. I barely had money in my pocket. And within a month and a half, I was doing a, a chef de rang in a French restaurant. Wow. I don't know. I just conquered it very quick. And then I was like, oh, I want something bigger. And somebody, I came back to Italy to do a season in Sardinia. I used to do summer season in Sardinia. This Michelin restaurant was, you know, more money, more, you know, mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. more experience. And uh, he kept talking about New York, uh, you know, he made good money, it's a great restaurant, blah, blah. So I took a plane and it just went out of curiosity and uh, stayed there about uh, 10 years at the end of the day. Then I met Daniel and, you know, but. That's, that's it. That's it. Now, I want to talk about. Because you do have a very uh, New York City romance <laughs> meet cute story, but I'd love for you to share it. Yeah, so I can I can go. <laughs> we, I was, uh, it's funny we both looked at each other like who's gonna start? Yeah, we met. It was uh, I was in crotches and I was crossing the street uh, on Era Square to go in a pub with uh, my friend and uh, one of Daniel's friends that she's supposed to go out with, and so made us some funny faces. So you know we got started talking. We went to his side to the bar and then uh, an hour after Daniel arrived. Uh, Long story short, we are we are sharing the right train, uh, the train no. ride. To... Okay, he's missing something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we met at a pub in Herald yeah, Square, a... but it was I was running extremely late because it was the holidays. So mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. North, it was kind of like you know blackout period. You're not allowed to miss a day. You're not allowed to go on like vacation. So. Um, my friend, I thought she was going to leave and ended up talking to them. So, you know, by the time that I got there, I thought they were all friends. And so I was like, okay, great. You may, you like brought friends with you. And she's like, no, I was about to leave. And I saw this guy on crutches. And so we started talking. And so, yeah, it ended up being good that she stayed. But we mm. lived off of the same train, and that's where I felt so bad for him because he was on crutches. So I was like, okay, I'll help you get home. And then I asked somebody to get up so he could sit down. And there it is. That's that. Yeah. Um, but not only that, uh, beyond meeting, you started moving around restaurants together um, and working in similar spots. So Yeah, so that was, let's say, that was, uh, that was uh, November or something like that, October. It's uh, like past, I would get the job and past, then I would bring a server along. Past two months, three months, so I started talking, you know, start talking to her, you know, said, you know, I was taking over a rest Italian restaurant and I had some of my mom's recipe. My mom was come, was coming to do some dishes and I needed somebody to complement the menu, to finish the menu. So she taught me, you know, she worked in modern. I always had the feeling that she was, you know, she was good, right? My gut always been strong <laughs> for me, so... We chat chatting there on Facebook Messenger, so I get her to a date. I said, "Look, I need a chef. You want to come and I'm cooking." So finally, she said yes to a date. So we go out, five ten minutes, we kissed. Long, long time short. I mean, short, uh, short story. After five months, we were married, and she was the chef of the restaurant. So wow. So 
like I don't want to say nepotism, but you knew somebody <laughs> of how to keep getting jobs in different restaurants, right? Well, it was like they would hire me as the chef, and then I would do a you know I do a really good job, and then somehow, like the first three, I want to say were Italian restaurants, so that was just easy. He <laughs> was. You know, he'd go in, he'd speak Italian to them, and then somehow he would just start working there, and, <laughs> which made it easy because that's how we began. I feel like our relationship began working together, so that's where we know how to do that, I think, better than being in the relationship at first. <laughs> uh, I mean, you you know how to work. You know what front of house is, you know, back of house, you know, you know those those rhythms maybe as you figured out each other's. And I think that exactly. And I think that's where we also began to like trust each other was I didn't even have to worry. Like I just knew he had it in the front and you know, that's, that's a huge part of the restaurant to make sure that the customer service is good to make sure that you're selling the food to make sure, you know, that you're not just selling the one dish that everyone goes there for, but a little bit of something else and to know that, yeah, everything is being taken care of. Amazing. Well, listen, I want to take a quick musical break. And then when we come back, talk about the move from New York to LA, the pop-ups, and eventually opening up your brick and mortar. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Danielle and Alessandro of Amiga Amore. And so you're married. You're working in New York. Everyone knows that it is a grind in the New York restaurant scene at that time. So when does LA start calling to you like it called to so many of us around that era? Um, when we start coming here more often and um, we start coming to see the family. And to be honest with you, I really saw the growth in restaurants. So uh, before I used to come here, it was difficult for me to find good food. You know, in New York, there's a lot of Italian food, right? So here, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, different sauces. If it was Italian food, it was, you know, invented Italian food because it wasn't, you know, awesome. I don't know. It was different for me. So I was like, oh, and then every year that I used to come, I see the difference. Oh, my God, this restaurant is much better. And then we went to Rusty Canyon. And uh, Rusty Canyon was a uh, mm. Oh my God, somebody actually doing stuff here. And I thought, yeah, maybe this is not a bad idea for us to move along because we were looking for a space in New York for ourselves. But we didn't have any money. I barely had my paperwork done with my social security number, none of that. So nobody's going to give me a loan. Nobody's going to give us a loan, you know, to adjust ourselves to open a restaurant because nobody Plus, knows us. it was so expensive. Plus, it was so expensive. So expensive. The, the place that we have right now in New York will be at least for $10,000. You know, it's very difficult to, to do our restaurant. My restaurant that I had, she was a chef, I was $18,000 to rent. Yeah. So it's very difficult to sustain, uh, you know, sustain a business and thinking to have a future with it. You can do it for two, three years and then, you know, close the door, but that's not fun. So, you know, we slowly saw the opportunity and then we want we to have a baby, to, yeah. you know, we want to have a kid, you know. So we're like, okay, what about New York? Get a little tight for us. You know, I was di- tired to also live in this little apartment, really you know, I mean, with no, like no lights. 200 and what? No, 300 square 460 feet. 360 square feet. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that, that, that was a light. And we saw, the open, we saw more restaurants open here and more chefs coming to LA. They would say, okay, maybe let's jump on the right train at the right time. And we go to LA and let's see what we can do. And the moment we got here, a lot of doors open for us, you know. So mm. it was definitely the right move. I mean, there is something about coming home, getting new experience in a place like New York, and bringing that back with you to look at the culinary landscape, which, as we all know, uh, Danielle, since you left in that era, really exploded. So when you mm. came back, did you see the opportunity that you felt wasn't there when you left? Yes. Mm. I, I mean, really, even like you said, the more that we were coming, we were noticing better food. Mm-hmm. Newer restaurants. Like, I mean, even think about it now, like the oh, pizza scene yeah. was not what it was. No. Really, we did not have good pizza. I think like when I left, it was Domino's or Pizza Hut. It was not or like, you know, the mom and pop shops that were good, but not like not what it is today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's like a pizza town. Now it's like the idea of um, uh Get pizza anywhere, and you can get different styles of good pizza. Yeah, but it's good pizza. It's good pizza everywhere. Like sometimes, yeah. like is pizza in New York pizza's better? I don't know. Uh, well, we're, we won't go that far. We're gonna have like a bagel controversy. I know. Uh, I, 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 an Italian perspective, you know, I like both. I like all pizzas, but you know, just there is there is some good stuff all happening pizza. around here. There is now. I want to talk a little bit about cuisine and coming back. So obviously, you could return. And you've cut your teeth in some of the best restaurants in New York, but it's sort of then doing not the same, but it's a you know predictable trajectory. When did you start thinking about a pop up, and when did you start looking at your own personal stories and combining them? Uh-huh. 
Um, I want to say it happened pretty quickly that I knew that uh, as much as I loved Union and and Bruce and everything, it just it was too hard coming back and working at a restaurant. Um, from what I had just you know come off of, like like Cuckoo was our last one, and it was not only a beautiful restaurant, but it was we were getting you know a lot of recognition. We were getting. A Michelin star. We were getting James Beard. We were like, you know, to come off of a high like that and yeah. then kind of get a little disappointed. It was just like, uh, I don't think I, if I work at a restaurant, it's got to be my own. So I knew quickly that I wanted to just do something on our own. So that's where we started, like the hot sauce and the catering. And then mm-hmm. once we were at catering, it was really great. Like, you know, we, we were our own bosses. It was um, a private chef. Yeah, I was a private. I did a private chef gig, um, but it wasn't my food. It was everything else that they wanted. So I think it was. Um, well, she realized that I didn't enjoy much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah, there was like two parts. It was me not really enjoying what I was cooking that much just because it wasn't me. It was like, I mean, I it was great because it was a lot of different things. <laughs> But, uh, and then being back in LA and being so excited to have like taco trucks or be so close mm-hmm, to like, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like little Mexico here where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't that, it wasn't like that in New York. So I never really pushed us going to eat Mexican food there. I would just have things like shipped to me, <coughs> um, but you know, I never really forced him. And so no, noticing that he was not enjoying what i was eating or he would only order like one taco and yeah. then order a pizza after and i'm like what is happening here right. and, and, yeah he just didn't like like cilantro and he didn't like <laughs> corn he wanted to tell my family he was allergic to things so he didn't feel bad for not eating because it's you know it's in our households it's very much the same like food is like love like yeah to give you another plate means like, you know, grandma really likes you. Like, so sure things that he didn't like. And so I think it was like a twofer. He kind of became my project. Mm. Cause I was like, okay, if I can get him to eat something, I know like, not that he has, he has a very good palate, but he just knows what he likes. Very right. Yes. Right. And you, st- I don't want to say stumbled, but you start to realize that there are these similarities between your Mexican heritage and the cooking you did and his Italian cooking background. And now I've had the cuisine, which you've affectionately dubbed Mex-Italian. And I can't believe it hasn't been thought of before because there's so many similar process and yeah. approaches to cooking and just even, you know – Similar dishes seen through different lenses, but how did you stumble again, not the right word, but how did you refine the process to finding something that like, these are dishes that absolutely work, make sense and are not that dirty F word that people might call it. <laughs> um, I think, uh, well, definitely like my extensive culinary background, it had to make sense. You know what I mean? Like it couldn't be gimmicky. And I think our travels really helped. Like we've been to, I've been to Italy a handful of times and we drive down to, you know, even Baja, we go to TJ all the time, you know? So I think him noticing what he would eat there and just 
like 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 I said, the travel to see like how cheese was made there and how cheese is done in Mexico to have like requesón be so similar to ricotta, like the way that we both use tomatoes, the way like some of our sauces take forever. Like we mm-hmm. put a lot of love, a lot of um, thoughtful flavor, but it's also not overdone. Like you know, a taco just has cilantro and onion, like and a salsa. It doesn't have to have that. Like it's in the flavors of what you start yes. with. Yes. So I think, um, yeah, I, and just being creative, really. Like it also went back to my childhood. What did I love growing up with, and what was so simple? Like I'm, I mean, I love our elote, but it's like the simplest thing that you know is corn. Mexico is just corn. And so I, I find sometimes we laugh, like our simplest one was the one that like is everybody's favorite. Um, but I think you've also tapped into this era of where people have gone to the craziest ends of the food, what food could be. And everyone's sort of been walking it back to finding something that's more comforting and more uh, approachable but still novel. And I think that's what your cuisine really captures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we always said is a fine dining cuisine, but in a casual setting. Yes. So you can mm-hmm. definitely see the experience behind the food. Uh, you know, so that's, that's what it is for sometimes. And we understand that some people said, Oh, this high price is more portion because, you know, it's more, they're maybe used to go different places. But, but we use know, the highest quality yeah. ingredients and we, it's all in the prep work. I think uh, people don't realize that, how much it takes to have all those things. Cause I make everything from scratch, like our tahine, our bread is made in house, every dessert, the cannoli shells, like all the pastas are done by hand. So that, Oh yeah. That was, uh, that was also a little <laughs> tricky yeah. to figure out at first because I mean, I was on the pasta table just around the clock Eesh. and I felt like I could not make enough. <laughs> oh no. We're out again. I'm like, oh my gosh. But it's so interesting that people would balk at the prices because if it was just straight homemade Italian restaurant pasta, people are used to paying that. But maybe because of the perception of like what Mexican food should cost in LA, that's where they start to have an issue. Yes. I mean, it could be, it could be. I I see it. This, I just see the, the different kind of being in front of the house. I mean, to more or less, I sometimes I really catch. It's funny because yeah. the other night I caught somebody and they see it wasn't happy, you know, with another couple, but they weren't just uncomfortable with themselves. You couldn't just tell, you know, maybe there's a fight, whatever, you know, and they were cold. So they weren't, you know, they ate the food, but then they left us three star reviews saying, you know, a few things. And I'm like, I felt, I, I told them, yeah, I know who they are because I felt it because everybody else was happy. Everybody finished the food, you know what I mean? Being up for the house, up uh, for me to, to discover those things and then you realize that you know you kind of see what kind of people come to eat and then you know you understand what kind of clientele you have because that is very important to to know when you need to you know prepare an event or stuff like that you know just you need to know what kind of people you have in the house no you know house is a great word to use and danielle knowing that you come from a love of fashion and design um and sewing that makes a lot of sense of how the design and the space feels because there's a lot of texture. There's a lot of colors. Um, now, obviously, you were a mobile pop-up for so long. So what was it like to finally open up your own spot and to be able to make a home to invite people into? 
oh, it was. <laughs> Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, wow, I feel proud of it. Um, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I, I feel like we we both had two different visions, but I think that <laughs> some things, he listened to me and sure. saw, like, like for sure, the bar. I said, think you listened to me, though. No, 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 I did. <laughs> but, um, you know, I wanted it to feel elegant, but not too cheesy Mexican. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted the the benches to, I wanted it to also feel homemade. So a lot of it, like we did do ourselves, like all of the chairs, we went to a thrift store and wow. we would just be like on the hunt for them. And then he would spray paint it and fix I would, them, yeah. I would, um, yeah, fix them if they needed. Um, and I sewed all of the um, cushions. So it was like, you know, and I wanted that to be like where the Mexican fabric Shh. came in, but we went to um, Mexico so many times to get the tiles, to get, certain glassware so that it tied together like you know things didn't have to necessarily all match but they needed to have that same sense and then like the plates that's where I got you know very I think like chef and Michelin because those needed to be beautiful so we definitely went shopping um one of a good friend of mine knows somebody um in Mexico that made to uh, one of our plates and it was just they're gorgeous i love them it's like what the cavatelli served on mm. so we wanted to like give back to smaller craftsmen i love like, that they didn't want to get things that were just so commercial so um yeah we we thought yeah we wanted to be unique and we thought about each little detail like even our wines our wine list we're trying to get more from baja um yeah, we're just trying to do it, but do it right. Not like I said, it's also our experiences being in New York and seeing really fine dining and doing just those little touches. Like, I mean, you said it was like a house, but I, I don't know which grandma's table side pouring agua chile broth, but that's where I like come in and I'm like, I need to elevate it so that you, feel, you feel good in there. But there is... There is that uh, emotional part of it where you walk in and it feels familiar and then you get this incredible food and tableside service and these drinks. And I've talked to people. I myself had this like very emotional reaction to the food. What is it about the whole combination that that really hits people in that core? I mean, I think it's even us being so emotional and what we yeah. want we built um i see people all the time uh, mostly like uh, girls because you know our men sometimes we either emotion but like a lot of girls tell me that it reminds of grandma cooking and make a reminder of that dish or of that dish that grandma used to cook so i believe also that the danielle grandma's training come out on everything you know because at the end of the day that's what it is too right you know it's um it's a product of love. It's a product. Nothing yeah. else we can do is a more yeah, love you put in it, more exactly. love comes out. We love what we do. We love what we do there, especially, but it's cooking with love. It's cooking from the heart. It's things that, like I said, I grew up with. It's me thinking back to like Chile, Colorado on rainy days. Mm. And what does, what does that represent? That represents a hug. Like, you know, like um, Menudo on Sundays after church, like, you know, what did that do? That That's um, not just a dish, it's a memory. It's like, you know, what? And sometimes, yeah, like you said, some people do tell me 
that 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 I brought them back to that or that the chilereano they closed their eyes and it took them back to their grandma and like how did I do that and it's like because I grew up with the same sort of mm-hmm. you know Mexican grandma that cooked just simple things but really put a lot of love into it I love it. Now, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about the music and the soundtrack that also set the vibe because it was a hit parade. Just being in there of just songs that were so good that obviously there was a lot of thought put into it. So who made the playlist? It's been a lot of uh, – it's been in the making for yeah. like, like every pop-up. You know, we add would we, mm. we would add another song, or we would go to like Italy and like you know that his sister would be driving us and playing like this new song, and we're like, oh, that's good. Oh, you that's know? awesome. Like, uh, so, yeah, so the the songs I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, literally, I grew up with I know the words I sing around the restaurant, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we added a Mexican part, so the Italian part, and then we added the Mexican part where it needed to be more Spanish song because we really wanted to be on branding, and we wanted to add some Mexican. So then we started looking into you know what Daniel grew up with and where Mexican mm-hmm. music was, uh, you know, and now we, you know, every time that we listen to a new one, we add it to the playlist, and so. But yeah. We got a yeah. We got a few people that told us we have good music. So we have that's good playlists. Can we share it with them? Happy to read it. Yeah. Well, I love it, and I cannot say congratulations enough. If people want to make a reservation or check out uh, the food or just see where we're up to, where can they where can they see what you're what you got going on? Oh, so um, we accept reservations through Talk. You nice. Just type in Amiga more, and that's Wednesday to Saturday for dinner. And then Sunday brunches, um, we accept walk-ins. It's a different sort of service. So I think if you want to come try something and you don't want to make a reservation, Sunday is the day to just come in, get um, some chilequiles with pasta. Mm. Or we're doing an elote croissant. So everything is made in-house, like I said. So all the pastries are just really, really good. We got pozole for the winter as well. Oh, yeah. I got a rabbit pozole. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Well, listen, thank you so much for making the time. I can't wait to come back in. And congratulations on everything. I'm excited thank to see so how it develops. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. We can't wait to have you back. Yes. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. It's okay.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. Uh, we have Odd Kid out. Live hey, hey, hey. Uh, Can I call you Odd Kid or can I call you Butch? You can call me Butch. Okay, Butch. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming up from Philly. For sure. For uh, sure. Darren and I are from Philly as well. No Born and raised. Yeah. Why well, did you say that in the email? Well, just for this moment. <laughs> um, but I mean, when I say Philly, I you know, since you're from there, we're all from the main line. Are you from Philly proper? Or well, so technically I'm from the suburbs. So I'm like from Chestnut Hill area. Okay. Te- technically from Orland, but no one knows where that is. No, I, I've <laughs> never heard of that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, grew up in the suburbs, and uh, now that I go to Drexel, living in the city in West Philly. So. Uh, how do you feel about living in Philly full time? I love it. it. It really puts you as an artist and a creative. It puts you in a completely different environment because in the not that the burbs are bad. It's just like being around, you know, people my age and being around the city and just being influenced by everything happening there is like so much, so much better for me. Yeah. I mean, I think this, the second that we turned like became teenagers, like the day we turned 13, we just started going to like the truck and the church yeah. and just going downtown as like as often as we possibly could. Yep. Yep. I mean, and we can see center city from our window, but there's a difference between, you know, being in the suburbs and then just being in it. Exactly. Uh, what are some of your favorite rooms to play in there? So I've played the TLA, which is actually probably one of the, the best that's shows amazing. I've played. Yeah. I feel like that's like a total feather in the cap. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Especially growing up there. Oh yeah. It's like, you got to go to the TLA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's been a great place. I've played great shows at the track. Um, even plays like the hard rock is great. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that was a venue when I was, uh, or I don't ever remember going to shows. Oh, there, really? It was mostly like the forty forty, uh, which might, is not around anymore. But like yeah. the the truck and just a bunch of like also house shows as well. Right. Definitely. Uh, what's the Drexel like house party show scene like? It's great. I mean, for what I do, being a producer in hip hop, there's not a lot of outlets. Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff for like rock music and punk music. Right. And I'll go to those every now and then just because I love all types of music. But um. But no, it's great. There's a lot of people at Drexel that, that do music, obviously, and, you know, people want to find new music all the time, so. Um, you have a pretty interesting background uh, on things. So, um, you did uh, School of Rock, you did, mm-hmm. like, Drumming for Rock Legends. Like, tell us how you kind of got into all of this. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you the lowdown. Yeah. Um, so, when I was, like, probably, I don't know, maybe five or six, my dad saw me, like, drumming in the back seat. Um, just like air drumming. And he was like, you know what? Let's buy him a drum set. So when I was six... That's like the only parent that's ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Noise complaints. Yeah. Um, so 
he bought me a drum set when I was six and um, got enrolled in the School of Rock, which was like the best thing I could have done. Um, For people who don't know, what is it? mm -hmm. So it's basically like an after-school program that kids can go to, and once a week you do lessons and then you do shows. So the shows consist of covers of like, you know, they have a classic rock show and you do that. They have like ACDC, Pink Floyd, all that stuff. Um, And so I did that from around age 8 to 14. Um, but I, I stayed taking lessons there with a guy named Jim Love until I was probably 18. Um, and they just taught me so, so much. So I was very, very grateful to, to go there. What was one of the things do you think like going to School of Rock kind of like uh, prepared you for that maybe just like being in bands and not getting like a more quote unquote formal education? Yeah, well, I, it really taught me, first of all, how to format songs. Because when you're young and you have to learn how to memorize songs, it, it kind of like becomes engraved in you. Um, the other great thing was that you get to be surrounded by kids your age that like music because there's not a lot of musicians when you're younger that really want to take it seriously. So being in that environment was like priceless. So how did you make the jump from, do you still play drums? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. So how did you make the transition, the jump from drums to producing and, and doing uh, like electronic music? So... I had always been a drummer, and I was just yearning to do something more creative. Not that the drums aren't creative, but I wanted a little more creative control. And um, for my, I guess, when I was 14, my mom bought me this this Native Instruments machine and Logic Pro. Dude, your parents are awesome. Dude, amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Like, <laughs> like two key moves that you've already said. That's, that's great. They set me up for success. Yeah. Shout out, Mom and Dad. Um, but yeah, they got that for my birthday, and then uh, I spent... All of high did you ask practicing. for it, or did they just like, hey, we read about this thing, and like, we think you would be into this? Well, my mom started noticing how much I liked hip hop and like making beats and stuff, and and she actually saw it on I think like Apple's homepage. She just saw like Logic Pro go up, and she was like, hey, do you want this for your birthday? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so that, awesome. That's like so. I mean, okay, keep going. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, so <laughs> I spent like all of high school just sitting in my room figuring it out like I didn't take lessons for my MPC or anything like that I, I just YouTube stuff and um, I took what I knew from drumming and music and just put it to it so um, can we hear something yeah yeah of course I'll put some on right now uh, what are you gonna do for us first uh, I'm gonna play a beat called Through You okay
you mentioned that you're uh, a Drexel. How do you find the balance between being a musician and a student? Tough. <laughs> um, Go on. Yeah, so, I mean, both are very time-consuming and require a lot of attention and work. So, um, you know, sometimes I battle with choosing what comes first and what's more important. I mean, I love school. But, um, what are you studying? Music business. Oh, so, I mean, it's relatable. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely relatable. I mean, there's there's some times where you have to take classes that have nothing to do with what you want to do, which is always a pain. But, um, but no, I mean, I think I'm doing a good job kind of balancing it all. It just, it just takes a lot of, you know, uh, planning and also just sacrificing a lot of things, you know, as far as, like, not going out on the weekends and s- to catch up on work and stuff, so. I mean, if this goes well, you'll be out, like, far enough, like, that'll, like, kind of even out in the end. Right. Um, how's the reception been to to your music, and, you know, where are you finding your place in the Philadelphia uh, musicscape? It's it's really been great. Um, I, I just started producing as Odd Kid Out about eight or nine months ago, and um, in that time frame, I've, I've gotten myself to around 65,000 followers on Instagram, and um i mean that's how i found you i was like just like through instagram oh really and uh your email was in there i mean that's how i found right yeah right oh that's cool um it works yeah yeah. (laughs) it's like an online business card that's what i always say it's it's kind of amazing like sometimes for bands how hard it is to to track them down yeah um but you made it real easy which is why you're sitting here yeah of course man (laughs) thanks um but no, it's, it's, it's good because I took the connections that I had from drumming and just, you know, being in the music scene and um, hit those people up and we're like, hey, you know, I'm not just a drummer. I'm a producer, too. And um, been been booked on some shows and keeping it moving. So um, and how have like, you found to like the older like Philadelphia music scene? Like, is it like you within the Drexel scene or are you like in the larger Philadelphia scene as well? I would probably say I'm I'm doing more outside of Drexel. Not that I don't have support from Drexel. I just find myself, you know, being in front of just people Philadelphians, you know, before students. Um, but but yeah, because that's because I'm just always going out to the city trying to meet new people. Uh, have you toured yet? As a producer, no. Oh, okay. As a drummer, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, and I know that you mentioned that you'd worked with like some like Grammy people or and mm-hmm. like some older people in the game. What what's the story there? So I'm very close to the guy named David Ivory who produced like The Roots and Patti LaBelle, Erica Badu. Um, and I work with Cam Hoff who wrote a few Neo songs. Work with Beyonce. Um, there's just a lot of people. Oh, the Nicola Brothers um, who worked with like Cypress Hill and, and Lauren Hill and stuff. Um, that came from drumming. And then, you know, using those relationships to, to push the production career has been helpful, too. So did you work with them as a drummer? Yeah, first? as okay. a drummer. And, you know, I would intern at their studios in high school and, you know, just be like, if you need help, just call me, you know. Any uh, valuable lessons you picked up from interning or any advice you give to people who are, like, weighing, like, the pros and cons of... I'm all for interning, but mm-hmm. current generation uh, are maybe not as down with that. Any advice that you could give or kind of, like here's why you should do it yeah or why you shouldn't do it you should do it because first of all you're learning the entire if you pick a good internship you're learning the entire time so that's already amazing and two you become close with that person because after you spend like you know days after days in the studio with the same person you know you build a rapport and you get called to do work after your internship is over so you know, and especially if it's in another place, a, a, like away from where you're living, then you get a whole new environment too. So, 
Yeah, I mean, and also the distance between the suburbs and the city at like 14 seems like a huge. Even now, you're like, oh, it's not that, it's not that far. Yeah, but at that time, it's like it might as well be like a world away. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the one thing that's interesting about producing, and you kind of touched on it, is that it's like it is so collaborative. So how do you find the artists that kind of work with you in the project, or how do you weave them in to uh, Odd Kid Out? So I'm the type of person that just genuinely loves working with people. Um, now, if we want to talk about finding someone that's really, you know, meshing with my sound, I, I kind of struggle with that. Um, what do you I, mean? Well, there's just not, you know... I don't know how to put it. There's just not a lot of... I haven't found many people that can really take my beats and do something with their voice over it that sounds like the way I want it to. That being said, I've definitely come across like a good amount of people that have, but the majority that I do, it's it, it doesn't feel like it necessarily meshes the greatest that it could. Who are some of the people that like fit well with your music? Yeah, so... Um, I'm contradicting myself, but a good amount of people. Um, a girl named Ashley Leone, who's out in Nashville now. Um, I used to be her drummer, and um, she's got the second song on the EP uh, that I just put out. Um, and she sounds great on everything. She's got a beautiful voice. Um, a rapper named Odyssey, who I'm close with, who's a high school friend. He's on the EP as well. Uh, this guy named Luke Bryan from Philly. Um, a guitarist named Todd who like, sings through his, his guitar. He's amazing. Um, Acoustic or electric? He does both, but oh. mostly electric. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So he's <laughs> awesome. awesome. <laughs> the, the list definitely goes on. I'm missing a few, but... Uh, and, like, how does, you know, where is your approach in the process? I mean, people are so varied. Is it the beats are finished first and then you hand it over? Is it there's a framework? Like, how does the collaboration, um, how how does it come together? It definitely varies with who I work with. So a lot of the times I have people just come to my studio and shop for beats. So I'll just play them beats and, you know, you like it? Cool. Um, other times I'll have people over, like my friend Mitch Beer. Um, he comes over and we start from scratch. And both have their pros and cons. So, do you have like one that you prefer over the other? Um. Well, I guess I like working from the ground up with the person because then you feel like you're creating something together. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm just dishing beats to people, and like that's great. But I would much rather sit down with the person and really, you know, tailor it to what they what they would want. Great. Um, let's hear something else. Yeah, sure. I'll play a song off the EP. Okay, perfect. What's this called? Uh, I'm going to play Amour. This okay. is the single. Great. Bello mio, voglio solamente bene il figlio suo te. Da quando ero piccola, avevo sogni di un pironzato perfetto. Ti amo davvero, ti voglio bene. Salvami, baciami ancora. Amami ancora, carissimo, cuore mio, dammi tutto del tuo amore. short time, but it feels like forever, you're always on my mind, now more than ever, can't remember life without you, the memories just aren't there, I think that my heart always knew that I needed you there.
on that so that's uh gogo morrow who's a singer from philly uh, good name yeah dude, yeah she's awesome uh and then the rapper is bonnick who actually used to be um you know killing the game in philly uh, a couple years back but yeah he's the man uh so what was the process of making this ep this is your first one right yeah so i, I released something senior year as like you know Blah blah blah. That's but, fine. That, yeah, no, no, this, no, one, no one knows unless <laughs> unless you bring it up. No one's gonna know. So it's it's a, it's up to you how you want to tell that story. We'll just go back and say this is the first. Yeah. So this is this is the first Odd Kid Out release. Um, yeah. So I wanted it to be the way I put it is like an autobiography of music, basically. So um, I wanted to tell my story. Um, through music basically it, it, it's very much a story you have to listen to it from the beginning to the end and um the interludes within it you know kind of tell it um but i kind of wanted to make something that made people think and something that was cathartic to people you know um an ep is you know really about editing and you know not turning into lp so how were you able to tell your story or how did you kind of craft the story over like a shorter form so the ep was actually originally like 15 songs and it, of course yeah so yeah. we I had to cut it down all gold right all gold <laughs> <laughs> so i had to cut it down to six um and that was probably the hardest part of the ep was figuring out how to make up for all that lost um, storytelling. So what I kind of left it up to was the emotions within the beats to, mm -hmm. to kind of speak on that. And then um, 
there's little tiny little snippets of things that you'll catch at the beginning and the end. And if you take the time to sit and think and piece it all together, it'll make sense. Do you have like uh, who are your like trusted ears? Like who who do you send before it gets like the final lock? So my roommate Scott. <laughs> Is that default? <laughs> no. Like did not. you get paired no. freshman year? And you- <laughs> <laughs> so we've been friends since um, high school, and we went to Drexel together, and. He, you know, I'll call him into the studio and be like, hey, I need you to come listen to this because I trust him very much. Um, uh, another person was my manager, Kirkland Lynch. Um, I would send it to him, let him hear it. Um, and then the people I was talking about before, like David Ivory and, and all those people that really have a good ear and that I trust. Um, and friends like, you know, um, my friend Mitch Beer that I was talking about before, he helped out a lot too. So. And, uh, is it uh, like open for refinement? Like, do you take their notes in or is it more like, or, or how, how do you take that in? Like, even if you feel it's like done or where do you send it to them in the process? I send it to them when I feel excited about it hmm. and it takes me, you know, I don't necessarily get hyped up about something when I make it. it. It kind of takes a little bit until I feel like it's at that point. And when I send it, I don't send it with the mind frame that it's done. I very much want someone to beat me up with their comments. Like I want, I want as much feedback as possible because I'm jaded because it's my own ear. So, oh, you know, so, you, so your skin's pretty thick or like just something. Oh yeah, okay. no, I want people to tell me what's up because I'll make the changes. I'm not Has someone gonna... like ever said something that kind of like slid right beneath the breastplate, kind of right. cut you a little bit? Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Oh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and what's cool about this is that you release it on BitTorrent too. Yeah. So how yep. did that? I mean, that's. I mean, it, that seems like a such a modern kind of uh, move. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that come about? Well, we, my manager and I, thought it was a great move because they have so many listeners. Um, and when we got approached about the situation, you know, we kind of just wanted to jump on it. Um, and the, also, the great thing about it was that we got to do this um, premium edition type thing where people could enter their emails and then they'll get like you know the a more video and they'll get some pictures and stuff so it was just a way to be more personal with the fans what happens to the other songs that i was gonna ask for the other uh songs the nine songs that didn't make it onto the ep is that just like ep2 ep3 do they just kind of uh, live somewhere else i don't know i mean they may re-emerge at some point i mean they're sitting in my itunes library um but i want to do something with them yeah. for sure um plans for the summer tour Yes, I'm actually, out in the studio. I'm <laughs> actually headed to L.A. for the summer, and I'm interning. Where are you interning? Uh, red light management. Oh, amazing. Yeah. The more business of the exactly. music side. Exactly. They're I'm, great. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. And um, the great thing is that, I'm going to keep talking about my manager, he lives out there. Um, so I'll be able to really... Um, you know, spend time with him and, and work on my craft on my days that I'm off. So, I mean, don't knock a good team. No, like you can go very, very far. Like you should, you should really like your manager. Oh my gosh, and your day to day and everything. Yeah. Um, do you know we're gonna live in LA? No, that's the one thing I haven't figured out, and it's stressing me out. You're gonna get a car? I don't know. Can you only rent it when you're like 25? Uh, yeah, I guess that is a con- yeah, that right. is a concern. I don't know. I've done I, we have a I work out there, and I mm-hmm. have been out there for three years. I have not rented a car in three years. Uber's like kind of really cheap. Out I heard there. the bus is the move. Yeah, I think like the rule is that as long as you're willing to pick up like all the Ubers, mm-hmm. you can probably like get rides for half the things. Oh, okay. you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you just have to like you you can't be the person without the car and be right. like, oh oh, I would have gotten that one. You have to right. be the first to offer. Right. And I think you, I don't know. It depends if you're going to be in the studio most of the time anyway, or yeah. at work. 
I'm going to try and get housing like right next to where I'm working so I don't have to like, you know, travel too far. Yeah, I mean, it's the one thing that kills me. I mean, it's the most classic East Coast complaint with the traffic. Really, <laughs> yeah. It's like the most like stereotypical <laughs> thing for me to say. It's like the, the traffic. Um, well, I know we want to leave a lot of time for you to do a freestyle at the end just to kind of let you uh, spread your uh, legs yeah. and take us for a walk. But sure. um, where can people f- find you? How can they add to that ever-growing Instagram account, book you, <laughs> shop for beats, build songs from the ground up? Yeah, so you can find me on YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Odd Kid Out, and that's O-D-D-K-I-D-O-U-T. Um, you are so well-trained. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no. It's really easy. Just type in Odd Kid Out. I'll pop up. You'll see mine. Uh, cool. Well, my face. Uh, I want to thank um, our guest today. Uh, shout out to the family. Shout out to Berlin. And uh, any name for the freestyle? You're just going to just let it go? Yeah, this is just kind of like a little thing I put together. Okay, great. Uh, well, thanks for being on here and take it away. Yeah, thank you so much.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.